Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast, made possible by our friends at Celebrity Cruises. I'm excited to tell you about a new kind of vacation experience that we're launching this fall. We're teaming up with Celebrity Cruises to bring some of our favorite experts and practitioners on sailings throughout the beautiful Caribbean. These sessions will focus on physical, mental, and spiritual well-being so that your time on board is even more restorative. If you can't make it to one of our live sessions, you can enjoy some of our favorite movement classes from the comfort of your room on most celebrity sailings. There's a body strengthening routine from one of our favorites, Lauren Roxbra, and an energizing workout led by Tina Jackson. We've also added a few more goop touches like fitness tools and a smoothie to help enhance your vacation. To learn more about these sailings and to vacation alongside our very talented practitioners, head to celebritycruises.com goop. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on one hand, and on the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. My guest today is our very own co-host of the Goop podcast, Erica Chitty. Erica is the CEO and co-founder of Loom, a well-being platform that is empowering women through sexual health education. On top of relaunching her company, Erica also agreed to join me as the new co-host of the podcast this year. I've been eager to catch up with her to hear about her interviews, what she's learned, and what she's thinking about these days. I always learn so much from her, and as usual, we covered a lot of ground. Erica and I talk about letting go of perfectionism and how to recognize when we need to pause and get back into our bodies. We talk about sex and how to be less harsh on ourselves. And we reflect on some of the big takeaways we've had in the past year as CEOs and on a more personal level. So let's get to my wonderful chat with Erica Chitty. I just wanted to connect with you because you've been doing the podcast for a while. I think you've done 11 or 12. Yeah. And they're so good. Thank you. They've been so fun. I would, um, and I was just listening to your Esther Perel one this morning. Oh my gosh. It was so good. And yeah, you're just, you, your, your questions are so good. The conversations are so good. So first of all, how, how are you liking doing it? I'm loving it. And I think the ability to have this, what I call like protected time to just be curious and talk to people that I really love is a real reprieve for me. You know, it's, it's like a really exciting and like nurtured, a nurturing experience. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think it is about going into that space of curiosity that becomes nurturing? Well, I think it's, for me, it's a couple of things. One, as you know, 
as a founder and a CEO, you wear a lot of hats, even when you're at work, you're like figuring out like, what's the next thing you need to iterate on, or like, how can you make what you're doing better? But you're not really in this place of the ability to sit with someone, talk with them, kind of glean their intellect or their their lived experience without a very clear and like definitive outcome. It's very much just like a liminal space that is not really transactional, which is what I really like too. Because oftentimes when you're in work mode, you know, the conversations are to get to a certain endpoint. But in these conversations, it's really like, okay, what's been coming up for me? How have you addressed these things in your life? And I just feel like I'm getting this opportunity to, yeah, to learn. It's like this information is, is nutritive. And I also don't have to be perfect at it either. I always feel like I've leave the conversation better informed with like a, a softer heart. I always feel like that was time well spent. I don't think I've ever I've only done one where I was like, this was a waste of time and we didn't publish it. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally can imagine that that is possible. I really loved your episode with Tara Bra, And I wanted I to Tara. know, like, did, did you know her before? Like, no. So how did you, how did you land her? And, and what was that like for you? Well, I followed Tara for a very, very long time. And I think we talked about this in the episode, you know, I went on my first silent meditation retreat when I was like 18, 19, like very early. And I didn't know that. Very, very goopy of you. I know, you know, only a few years later did I find it's like very goopy of me and also (laughs) just wanting to at the time it was like a, there was such a desire for me to just have like my own container and to be able to turn down a lot of noise. And so that was, I think she actually shared her, either I shared that I had done that. And that was my relationship to, to Buddhism and, and to just a sitting practice. And she was like, Oh, that's, I did that too at that age. And so I think, you know, sometimes the people that you're the most excited about and kind of attracted to, you know, platonically, like to their brain or to their energy or their words, it's because you have like a commonality in your lived experience. So I think that's why it felt like we had talked before, but we never really did. Yeah. It's just like, we, it's almost like we are, we practice from a lot of the same material. So like our conversational felt sense was very similar, but I think when, you know, the team, the goo team was working with me on who I wanted to talk to, I was just like, definitely Tara. Like she just has such a, even just the cadence of her voice and the just attention that Um, she's bringing. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I just really, really loved it. What are your, are there anything, like, are there any, I don't know. I just like from each of the episodes, like, are there, are there any things that are a particular that surprised you or that you learned like the girls all loved the, the death doula one. Yeah. I mean, Alua is, you know, incredible. And the funniest thing about it, I don't know if you know this, but Alua's sister is, is Bose. What? Yes. They're sisters. No, This is the thing. And I like, I thought you might've known this, but didn't know this, but I thought it was really funny because I think around the same time I was recording with Alua, you were recording with her. You're yeah. kidding. No. Yeah. They're just very low key about like 
not doing like a full on sister sister thing on on the gram, but they are sisters. (laughs) (laughs) But it kind of makes sense though, if you think about it, they both kind of inhabit the, you know, the, like the richest part of like their vocations, right? Like this really exuberant approach to whether it's marketing or like death doula work, there's just like, they're very present. And what, what do you think was so resonant about her words? Well, I think for me with Alua, and it kind of caught me off guard because I consider myself to be pretty progressive and really not really, not really afraid to talk about anything, but there was a command to her Mm. inquiry about death that made me sit up a little bit straighter and then also lean back because and leaning back to get comfortable to take it in. It was like this ode to where we're going. Mm. And it felt really supportive to talk about death, you know, the way you would talk about any other thing, like over a dinner conversation or something Mm. like that. There is just an ease to her words around it. And I think for me in that episode, when she was talking about wanting to be buried in, you know, a raw silk, you know, fuchsia orange shroud. And I just was like, yes, yes. How do I want to do that? And, and I think, I think I can only speak for myself, but I feel like, you know, what I do with Loom and with health education and, and women's health is like trying to speak to it in that same way. How do you make it feel like something that you can invite other people in on? And the same thing with Goop, I think like the deep curiosity of you know, your editorial approach over the years is to make things that can feel very just out of touch or out of reach, have a little bit more accessibility, regardless of that's whether, irrespective of whether it's in, whether it's material or immaterial. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that in listening to that, like that, that approach of it's like, it's like the people who make you rethink something or re reimagine like what is, what is possible in within, you know, it's like, we, we, we think about things like death within the confines of our capitalistic society of like losing something. And it's really miraculous when you get somebody who can inhabit the feeling of like, well, what is the exponential thing that happens? That's very cool. Yeah. The exponential piece I think is, or exponential is actually a very good word because, you know, I think you have to have distance to, to think that way. And I think oftentimes so many of us are, are too close, right? You're too close, even though you feel like maybe let's say, for example, like, I don't like to talk about death, but I think it's because you might be too close to the fear of it. Right. Exactly. Versus when you can hold the, the polarity of that and be a little bit further away to be able to engage with it. I think that's what so many people in wellness, well-being, you know, in healing, even in, in medicine can do. It's just, they can be very close, but also still have that distance to be able to have a sense of elasticity inside of really challenging topics or really hard work. We'll get right back to the chat. (laughs) 
At Goop, we're always thinking about new ways to bring holistic wellness experiences to life, and we've been collaborating on something special with Celebrity Cruises. I jumped in as the well-being advisor, and this fall, we're bringing together a talented roster of our favorite practitioners who will be leading workouts, spirituality classes, and mindfulness sessions on board sailings. Our fitness experts, Colette Dong, Tina Jackson, Andrea Wheeler, will be leading body sculpting routines, elemental movement flows, and high-intensity workouts. On the spirituality front, Dana Childs and Deganit Noor will be hosting workshops on tapping into your intuition and connecting to your chakras. If you can't make it to a live session, we're also putting together a series of on-demand workouts with a couple of our teachers that can be seen on most celebrity cruises sailings. If you're staying in an aqua class stateroom, be sure to check out the tools we hand-selected for your in-room fitness menu. And don't forget to head to the Spa Cafe to try the exclusive Goop smoothie. We hope these little touches make your vacation even more rejuvenating. To learn more about the Goop experience on board and to book your sailing, head to celebritycruises.com goop. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Have you asked like anybody a question that felt uncomfortable asking? You know, I would say... Not like obviously uncomfortable, but I think, you know, my conversation with Carl Hart, who wrote the book, Drugs Are for Grownups. That oh, yes. I need to finish that one. Yeah, it was a really great episode. And I think what was interesting about my conversation with him is like, I know I really have a progressive perspective on, on drug usage. And I remember, I think at the end of the conversation, he was just he was really grateful for me taking the time and the interest in what he's doing, because I think his experience around his body of work and even this book is pretty combative, right? There's just not a lot of elasticity in people's minds or, or the way they think about drugs and kind of their place in society. And so, you know, there's some questions I asked him that I saw, for example, you know, I think I talked to him about his rethinking of how we're moving forward around drugs and around legislation felt to me like very Afro-futuristic. You know, it's a very futuristic idea about how drug, you know, drug legislation, drug regulation, drug consciousness can sit in our society. And he, when I said that, he was like, oh, I've never really thought of it that way. And and for me, it's like offering up this Afro-futurist kind of framework. Was, what does that mean, by the way? So Afro-futurism or Afro-futurists are... African-American or black people really reconstructing how we see the world. It mm -hmm. happens in art. It happens in science, medicine. It can really, and it typically is like connected more to sci-fi fiction is like kind of where it comes out of there. Like there was a stable of, of kind of fiction writers who kind of live in that uh, world. You could even say like Octavia Butler is like in that kind of Afrofuturist world. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But I think I offered that framework to him because that's what I saw a really brilliant black man really asking us to rethink what our future could look like around, you know, drug usage. And so it wasn't uncomfortable, but I think there was a sense of just, wow, no one's really taken my work and put it in this like much more soft and like collective framework. And when I say soft, not any less powerful, but just not thinking about it 
in this negative way of like, this is a conversation about drugs and addiction. It's like, no, this is a conversation about evolution and freedom and futures. Mm. That's so cool. Yeah. He's, he's a cool guy. He's really cool. But actually also, cause you were just listening to the Esther episode. I love talking to her about, I love talking to her, but something that she said that really stuck with me was, you know, on her vacation, she was able to finally read a fiction book or read a couple of fiction books. And she was, she kind of stated that she felt finally when she was on this vacation on her own, she was calm enough to go into other people's stories. And I just was so kind of taken by them still thinking about it. I mean, I'm like curious if that resonates with you too, because it's, I found it really hard throughout the pandemic to really sometimes give myself like the escapist opportunity that comes with reading, you know, a fiction book kind of cover to cover. And it's such a small milestone, but it's profound, you know? Absolutely. I have found that I went from being a person who read fiction all the time, you know, before I had kids, when I was on movie sets and it was, you know, this is like pre-internet. It's, it's, it's what you did. You had like your binder of CDs and your <laughs> freaking like portable boom box and your novels. And you sat in your trailer and you listened to music and you read. And it was, you know, I, I always loved reading in school and everything. And then my, I definitely got dinged when I had kids, you know, that, that sort of goes for a while. And then like in taking, in taking the role of that, I'm in a goop. Like I just, I re, I was realizing that I wasn't reading any fiction except if I was on vacation because I didn't have time. And then there's so many shoulds, right? Like, Oh, why am I, why am I reading this novel when I could be reading like how to build a great team and how to, <laughs> yes, you know, like, yes. yeah. how to get more <laughs> operating leverage out of your supply chain or whatever the fuck. Exactly. And, <laughs> and, and, and over the pandemic, it was at its worst. Cause there was really no delineation between work and life. And over the summer I read my, my friend, actually, my kind of godmother gave me, I adopted her as my godmother, gave me an amazing present for my birthday last year, which was this book club of first edition. So it's a new first edition that you get sent every month. It's from, Ooh. it's a really good Christmas present um, or birthday present. It's the Odyssey book club, it's called. Cool. And they send you a, a wrapped, like in the sublime kind of brown paper wrapping, you get your book every month. And although to be honest, in the last you know month or so, I've have not gone back to reading, but I, because it was like back to school madness, but over the summer and just taking that time to do that. But I also realized that, you know, when my nervous system is totally jacked up, I can't lose myself in fiction. Like to Esther's point. Esther, sorry. I can't cross the boundaries into somebody else's like brain barrier because I'm just like in fight or flight. I think, you know, I can, I have to work on that. I don't know. How, how do you, you know, how do you get your nervous system to calm down with, you know, it's like you're, what you're dealing with, like family stuff, insane amount of work pressure, building a company, raising money, managing people, you know, in a new relationship. That's awesome. But you know, relationships are intense. Yes. <laughs> so how do you, 
how do you get into your body? How do you calm your nervous system down? You know, I have been really fortunate to have been working with a somatic experiencing psychotherapist for the past, say, four years or so. And and explain what that is. So somatic experiencing is a therapeutic modality where there are a number of different kind of movements and visualization exercises that you do that are kind of incorporated into your, you know, psychotherapeutic process. So, you know, an example might be if I'm say talking to my therapist, she might pause me mid thought and say like, where are you feeling that right in your, right in your body right now? And then I sometimes reluctantly will stop and try to figure out like where that is. And, and then kind of speaking to the quality of what that feeling is and where it's placed, you know, from there, we might move into some other tools. There's the one that really helps me is, and also just to kind of close out, cause I just realized I did a drift, but I want to make sure I'm explaining. So, you know, so really you are want to do. Yeah. <laughs> But essentially, somatic experiencing helps you stay present in your body while you are also at the same time needing to pull down thoughts from your inner, from your intellect, right? Or like pull down memories, but then how do you make sure that you can kind of find a sense of, you know, and not balance per se, but just even like homeostasis, like something that feels a little bit more. Because to not, otherwise you're re-traumatizing yourself potentially by thinking about these other things or experiencing bad things. Right. But if you're really in your body, right. And you're connected to your soul, I think maybe it's easier. I don't know, at least in my experience, and it's easier to mine other stuff. A hundred percent. I think one of the main tools that I've used a lot over the past years and have started to use even more recently as things have gotten you know, a little bit more intense and busy is this observation tool. So basically what you do is you just, whenever you're feeling flooded or kind of overwhelmed, you pause and you look around your environment and you find three things that are pleasing. So right now I'm sitting in my chair, I'm looking out a window and I see a tree. I see this like red car driving and then like the letter J on my laptop. That's like, those are three things that are like pleasing or interesting to me to take me out of whatever seems to be happening like physically. And so that observation exercise is actually really helpful. I'm going to try it right now. Yeah. Tell me, what do you see? I see you. You're very pleasing. I see some flowers to my right and I see a picture of my daughter. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And like, just even noticing like how that feels in the body, mm, I even love in, it. right. Even in the middle of this convo, it's just like that. And you're sensitive enough to feel the difference of like where you were right before you did that. And, and now, and it's not like it's a revelatory shift, but it's like, it's a shift that might not have been available. So sometimes, especially with zoom, it can be helpful. I tend to do a lot of observation when I, cause for, you know, in the episode with Esther, we were saying like, you think you're looking at someone on zoom, but you're actually not ever really making direct eye contact. 
know. It's so weird. It's so weird. It's like this complex thing. And then the other tool that I think you'll like too is something called the heart hole. And so the person who developed somatic experiencing is a man named Peter Levine. He has an incredible book called Chasing the Tiger. It's all yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So he developed SE. And another tool you can use is called the heart hold. And like I, I've taught this to everyone on our team. You take your right hand and kind of like open it up so that you kind of got an L shape with your right hand, with your thumb and your index finger, then take that hand, put it underneath your armpit on the other side. And then let your arm come down over your chest to your other arm and just let your crossed arms be on your chest. Yeah, exactly that. Can I make a fart sound on the way? (laughs) You're such a ham. I I love it. But this, 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 um, it's nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it really does feel good. And so this is the heart hold. And like, usually what the heart hold will do is make you yawn. Yawns are really good. Yawns are really good to me. (laughs) Yawns are great. It lets you know that you're coming out of like a fight or flight response. You're coming into. Mm, It's safe. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So this position is great. I like to do it in meetings as well. And like, sometimes it's company with a little bit of rocking because that's just, you know, what's going to feel okay. And so I love to kind of toggle between the heart hold and Mm. observation. Those are two very simple things that are, are helpful. And then what about what you taught me about this vagal toning thing? Same thing, honey, same thing. It's all in that wheelhouse. So for example, another opportunity that is somatic experiencing related, but it's all about SE in general is about regulating the nervous system. So it's very much connected to polyvagal theory, but one thing that we do a lot in therapy is we do vuzas. So we'll, we'll do a vuz and a growl. <laughs> so a vuz sounds like this. And then you end it with a growl. So you go. Yeah. Cause it opens up the jaw and just yeah. like, you know what I mean? It gets everything kind of, because mm-hmm. most of the day as you're talking and you're feeling stressed, like your mouth's pretty tight, right? You're talking, but it's like, everything is just there. So losing to growl at my therapist is going to be so pleased by this. By the way, she'd be like, very good. It's good to know it's going in. <laughs> Those are the little things. Also, the other things that keep me settled is having sex. I mean, honestly, it's there. It's available. Luckily, you know, everybody involved is still very interested in doing that. And so you know, and skin to to skin contact, like, I'm sorry, take the sex out. And just, let's just say like, just lying with your partner and just being skin to skin is so nutritive. It's just like, so important. And what about orgasm? Like, is there, what is the science behind orgasm? I, I, I actually, on your Loom HQ Instagram today, it was so great because I felt like I had this moment where someone who might've seen something on goop like eight years ago, like what she's talking about what? Like I had that today on, on her loom when I was like, wow, she's really talking about having an orgasm while you're on your period. And then I was like, why, why did I just have this visceral reaction? Like, this is amazing. This is super interesting. Why is this a taboo? Like you got me on yes. this whole <laughs> This whole inner dialogue about 
you know, I don't know. We could, I feel like we, I could ask you questions about that forever, just be, in terms of like from the patriarchal aspect or whatever. Yeah. But even if you forget all that, like that was so bold. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And, you know, it's really interesting. Like to me, talking about masturbating on your period is such like low stakes, right? But I, I encourage you, if you're hearing me say masturbating on your period and you're just like leaving the building, I think we have to have some softness and really understand that people do that. Like actually having an orgasm is a pain reliever. I mean, I have had like really bad, like lower pelvic pressure and then had an orgasm and like have felt like the dopamine and like the analgesic, the pain relief benefits for like 30 minutes to an hour afterwards being like, Oh, this actually feels better. Like, and even when you're having sex often, when you're in that, in the real flow of it, like pain that you might have, you don't even feel it anymore because all of these other hormones are cascading through your body. And so it is, it is a form of support. And I think you have so many symptoms before you get your period for most people mm. that knowing you could also throw in an orgasm, whether it's with a partner or by yourself and, you know, some leave and a hot water bottle, like <laughs> let's, use, let's use all the, all the tools. I will say some people find like period sex and like masturbating during your period, just, you know, self-pleasure you know, a little uncomfortable because our culture has reared us to think that vaginas are gross, bleeding is gross. And, you know, for some people it's, you know, it's a turn on or there's more comfort, there's more lubrication when they're bleeding. They may feel more comfortable doing things during that time of the month mm -hmm. than any other time. So mm -hmm. it's just important to, to talk about it because people are doing it. Like the same thing for when I used to teach my sex class, we're teaching live. I'm like teaching live, teaching in person at Lou. One of the one of the things I would talk about was I would ask the class to be like, I would say, has anyone here, you know, masturbated lying on their tummy, you know, and kind of that being the position or or like lying on your tummy, lying on your tummy and humping to masturbate. And like there was always a pretty good number, pretty good number of people who would say yes. You know, it's just Again, I just think it's important that we talk about this, these types of things, because you just feel less alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what feels cool about this time we're in as much it is, as much it is, as much as it is very challenging. I think there is more ability to kind of speak our truths and, and not feel like we're being shut down for it. I want to ask you, like, what are you doing? Cause like, you're doing all the things, putting out all the fires and working just as hard. And I want to know how you're taking care of yourself. I think it's a few things. Like, uh, first of all, I feel that I'm, I'm coming out of a really, really intense period. I think, you know, for anybody who has a business COVID was an extra layer of fear and uncertainty. And you know, a lot of clarity came out of it and a lot of like, oh, from, you know, from a work perspective, like, wow, this is really clarifying. Like this, this we do because it makes money, but it doesn't actually feel great for the business or, mm -hmm. you know, 
that classic thing of like some of the people that you love and who got you started on the journey, like aren't going to be the right people for the next phase and like dealing with the pain of that. And, and then, you know, just worrying about revenue and trying to figure out like what the consumer wants and what do people want to know about and read, like just completely relentless worry. And, and then also, you know, navigating like kids at home and, and all that stuff. And so I, I I was really, really struggling if I'm honest with you, like I had, and, and I had, as, as I told you, like, you know, this long haul COVID stuff and some other like underlying health things that came out just like a really kind of tough period. And now that I'm starting to come out of it, because I've, I have some, I've hired some amazing people now that I can give these functions to that are not my, in my core competency. And, and I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, I can actually breathe. And I'm noticing that I was holding on for dear life for like the past 18 months. And I failed myself in terms of having the tools because the things that I was doing that worked for me before weren't, I was doing them through COVID and they weren't working to the same degree. So I think it really became for me about like, I need to get to the next level of my healing and I need to be more brave about like what that exploration is. And certain things help me like Brad and I meditate every morning together, which really helps me, you know, for me too, like skin on skin contact sex, it's like where us as overburdened adults, like all of us, where we can just like be a a kid in a body, like a spirit in a body. It's, it's, it's really important, but I added, I also added a new therapy that I've just been starting recently, which kind of reminds me of what you're talking about. It's called internal family system. I love IFM. You do. I knew you were going to know it. It is. Well, that you and I should have a totally different combo about that. It is game changer. I did it during the pandemic and it's, it changed my life. Oh my God. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. I, I, I'm very into it. Tell me, tell well, me. How I, just, I just started. I've had like four sessions and on top of my regular shrink, which who I adore and who's like my rabbi and mentor and like the, the best sort of hardest tough love ever. And, and I, so I, I, because of some old trauma stuff that was coming up in this, my really good friend, Amy recommended that I try IFS. And so I just started recently and I think it is a game changer. Like this idea that we are composed of parts, different parts, and there are different parts of us who have are holding on to things or have suffered different things or are expressing like the idea that the idea that the, the person who is like yelling in traffic, me, right. The idea, like when I'm cursing at the moron ahead of me and, you know, and I'm like, then I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, why am I so angry? Like, and having shame or having like the idea that that could be a part of me that is trying to tell me something or that needs something, or that's trying to express or clear or heal something like it's, I find it really fascinating and it's very new for me. I'm in like nascent beginnings of the whole thing, but I'm super into it. Yeah. I, I cannot wait to hear more about your journey with it and be able to swap stories. I think for me, it was really revelatory and I kind of did it 
at the same time as another very close friend of mine was doing it, we were kind of going through the book together. And then I did like this intensive like workshop. Ooh. And I think to just like plus one, what you're saying, this idea that inside of you, there's like a disciplinarian and like a sassy lady and like an <laughs> older man who's like a dictator. And then there's, and these are all pe- parts of you that are trying to protect the very vulnerable, painful part of you. Yeah. And once you, and I think, and I think I, I would say potentially, I know, again, speaking for myself as a creative person and knowing you also as a creative person, I think there is an unlock around IFS with that. The ability to start to like make the internal more tangible helps you to, I don't know, be a little less harsh on yourself because before IFS, I really was in this Mm. case of like, I'm just a monolith inside. Like there's no division. And so IFS helps you figure out like, no, there's a lot of people inside of you, but not from a perspective of like, you're crazy. And there's a lot of people inside of you. It's more just like, (laughs) there's a lot of people in there. Let's give them all a chance to speak and see if we can get to some coherence so that you're not living in the harsher parts of the family all the time. Right. Right. And, and how quickly connecting with those harsher parts and letting them speak their piece, how deeply you become connected to the, the more, I don't know, central part of you that the, the, you know, so that's been really, that's been really good. And, and, you know, I just, I think understanding my, like understanding where I want to be spending my time at work, you know, really. And, and, you know, like understanding, like forgiving myself for not being great at every aspect, you know, and like forgiving myself for not being a wizard in Excel and, and a wizard in math. And you know what I mean? It's like, uh, okay, you know what? Like, this is not this is, this is, you, you did what you had to do to get you here. And like, it's okay to, to admit that, like, I don't know, it's like this perfection thing that I'm really just trying to let go of that has been a destructive thing for me in my life. And like, I'm sick of it. I'm done. Yeah. I don't want to operate from that paradigm of thinking anymore. Same, same for me. The perfection thing it's, and I think, you know, when you're running a company that is from such a deep part of your heart, right. You know, it's not, and not to say anyone that runs a company might not have like the soul of the company inside of them. But I think when it's so close to who you are and what you love, it's very hard to not want to use the same systems that have gotten you to the point Right. (laughs) To like make it keep going, you know? And I think that's well said, you know, I think that's the difference between like having a very small business that is impactful and powerful and having a scaled business that has impact and power, but has a lot of people inside of it. Like I read something the other day and I'll send it to you. I haven't finished reading it. It was an article just about, you know, really good CEOs are constantly giving their job away you know, just like you're getting people, you're just like, take it, take it, take it so that you can kind of keep. And it kind of blew me away when I read that. Cause I was like, wow, that's, that's some really inverse thinking, but I, 
I, I'm, I'm there. I get That's it. where I am. Yeah. I'm like, I'm giving my job away. <laughs> You're just like, everybody take, take the jobs. But I, want, I just think it's important to just be able to like level set around some of this sometimes because I feel like there is this perspective of, I want to have my own business. I want to run my own company. But I think, you know, as women, there is there is an intensity, I think, to running a business that is not as advertised, right? Like once you're inside of it. Yes. Especially because corporate culture economies were built by men for men. Absolutely. And so when you're trying to do it, you kind of have to do a lot of what you know you're doing and what I'm doing is like carving out like what is the feminine approach to some of these systems, not everything, because you kind of have to like toe the line, but anywhere that you can inject a little bit more softness and like push back on perfection, I think is so key. So Mm -hmm. I I really love hearing you say that it's a good reminder for me today too. What are some of the other, what are you into right now? What, what, what podcasts do you listen to besides the Goop podcast? You know, I, I'm kind of a creature of habit. One of my favorite podcasts is on the media it's been around for about 15, 16 years. It used to be a radio show, but now it's a podcast and it's a, it's a media semiotics podcast. So it's like, it's a podcast about the media. It's a podcast from the media on the media. So it'll break down like the week's worth of news and give you this really kind of multifactorial approach to understanding what's going on. What's it called? On the media. Oh yeah. I've heard of that. It's really good. I love on the media and I love on being, which is Krista Tippett's podcast. Yes. Yeah. We love those too. That's kind of all I can do. Sometimes we'll do the daily in the morning. You know, if it's not too depressing, Mm. it depends on the topic. (laughs) What about you? Well, I also love on being, I love when I get a massage, I listen to what's it called? It's a true crime one. Oh my God. Why am I not remembering the name? You know, it's Ashley Flowers and Brit and they do this murder podcast. What is wrong with me? I'm I'm looking it up right now so we can get it. I've lost uh, my mind. It's gone. Ashley and Flowers. Yes. The Crime Chunky podcast. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Is it good? I'm not like a true crime person. I can't I love true crime. So if you don't like true crime, don't, but it's like when you just want to like veg your brain out, it's like, if you like true crime, it's a really popular one. Cool. I love that you love true crime. I, that's wow. a very sweet morsel to take with me. Today. And then I love like drama business podcasts. Like right now there's one on Elizabeth Holmes on trial. I'm obsessed with Elizabeth Holmes. Business Wars, I like that one. And then I've got my wellness ones, like Will Will Cole's one, The Art I of Being Well. Peter Atia, he has one called The Drive that I love. It's a like super dense kind of medical. He's podcast, but it's really good. Yeah, like I don't know. I I love podcasts. I listen in the car. I'm I'm a very I, I'm into it. I love Song Exploder. Have you listened to yes, that? Yes, I love Song Exploder too. So love that one. Yeah, yeah, I love Song Exploder is. Because I, I think if you have a sense of musicality, which most people do in one way or another, but like when I listen to, like when I listen to music, I've been like this since I was a child. When I listen to music, I don't listen to the lyrics. Same. Could not tell you 
could not tell one you lyric, but I could sing every melody, exactly every yes. harmony, me too everything yeah. same yeah what what music are you listening to you know I and actually I just recently like DJ one of my closest friends birthday parties Ooh. and it's like this weird thing that I my like low key secret skill is like making mini mixes. So Ooh, that does not surprise me. <laughs> do like, I do like a song or two, but you know, right now what I'm listening to, what am I listening to right now? There's a new dance song by Becky Hill. She's this UK like EDM artist. She has this new song with David Guetta. And I'm like, I really love it. Oh my God. <laughs> I love dance music. I'm just, I'm like a four on the floor get it, get it going. I love it. I'm like a very indie rock. Like Brad says, all the <laughs> songs. he's like, all the songs you love are like the part in the movie where the girl is like really ruminating over her breakup. And like, <laughs> But I love a song like that too, because it's like, it changes your state. It makes you, it just yeah. drops you in, in this like particular way. I, I am agnostic. I like all kinds of music too. Like I love good indie, actually the new Sufjan Steve, that's what I've been listening to. Oh, his new album. Is it, am I saying it right? Sufjan Stevens. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. He has a new album that okay. is really good. And there's a couple songs on there, but I find I, it's nice to be able to put on a song and have it take you. I really like this kid, Jake Wesley Rogers. Have you heard? heard no, him? I don't know about him. Oh my God. He is like, the is most, he young? he's young and he's so great. And he's just so himself. And, and he is, he, he, he sort of caught my attention with a couple songs and then he just released a song called Weddings and Funerals, where I did hear the lyrics because the cadence of the song is funny. Like the rhythm is very kind of punctuated. And I don't know what the time signature is, but he says like, why is it all basically like, why is it always weddings and funerals? Why, why don't we celebrate everyday miracles? And oh, it's so beautiful. And he just has a great voice and I really, that's, I've been kind of, it puts me in a good mood. So I've been listening to that. And, and then my son is very into like, it's in the car we were listening to. He, like, he loves Frank Ocean. I could listen to Frank Ocean all day. I mean, you and me both, boo. I know. It's really, really good. It's always well arranged to his music. It's just, there's all of these little moments. And his voice is just it's so, so good. I've, I think it's good if every once in a while we do these and I love can, talking to you. It's so good. It's like, honestly, it's like, ah, oh, thank you for that. Yeah. I, I You're love such you. a great teacher. You know, mm -hmm. you just, you really are. You're just so awesome. Mm -hmm. I always learn so much from you. I feel the same way. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Erica Chitty. You can tune in here on the Goop podcast where we take turns hosting episodes every week. To check out her sexual health education platform, go to loomhq.com. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.